way. If you're a guest and looking for a place to worship God and to serve Him, we want you to be a part of this congregation. We'd love to sit with you and talk with you and let you know things about this congregation and how you can be a part and how you can be a part of the work of God that we seek to do here. I was walking downtown one day. I saw a man that appeared to be just an old wino sitting on the streets telling the people about Jesus as they passed by. Because he was all raggedy and dirty, people would just laugh and make fun of the old man walk on by. And he said, because of the way I am, no money, no fancy clothes, no fine homes and cars, a lot of people consider me as nothing and say, I don't know what I'm talking about. There was one thing he said that really touched my heart and stayed on my mind when that old man said, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. I don't know if you know it or not, but those words that I just read were the words, the first stanza and the chorus of a song by the Williams Brothers that was released back in 1985 on their album called Blessed. They're a gospel group, and uh, they had uh, this song, and I really had never heard the song until I started preparing for the lesson that I'm supposed to be doing up in Virginia this week. But that chorus is one that I've heard before. Uh, It's simple, and yet it's profound. I've heard men like Jerry Jenkins mention that, say that. I've heard Keith Parker and others say that. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. You know, what I want to do this morning is focus on those everybodies and anybodies. I want us to think about them. When we think about the everybody and the anybody, it's generally that we're talking about not just Christians that are here, but we're talking about every person in the world. And when we start thinking about that, we're thinking not just about good, saved people. We're talking about the people who are out there who are sinful, some of them who are quite sinful. And it's those people that I want to think about. And I want us to understand this morning, as as we think about this lesson, that the only way that we can be a true friend to the everybody's and the anybody's is to teach them about Jesus Christ, to teach them the gospel, to let them know about the salvation that's to be found only in Him. And so this morning, we want to make some observations. We want to think about our relationship, being a friend, if you will, to the everybody's and the anybody's, being a friend to sinners. As we do that this morning, I want us to understand that When we think about it, we really and truly sing about reaching out to sinners, don't we? A lot of the songs that we sing have reference to that. For example, we sometimes sing a song with these words, There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Second verse says, Tell the world of saving grace. Make it known in every place. Ring it out. Ring it out. Help the needy ones to know Him from whom all blessings flow. Ring it out. Ring it out. Last verse says, Send it out to sweep away till shall dawn the better day. 
Ring it out, ring it out, till the sinful world be one. For Jehovah's mighty Son, ring it out, ring it out. We sing about reaching out to sinners. There's other verses or other songs that we sing. There's one that we sometimes sing here. Of one the Lord has made the race, through one has come the fall. Where sin, and, uh, that, uh, where sin has gone, must go His grace. The gospel is for all. And we talk about, we sing about reaching out to others. But you know what? It's not just singing about reaching out to sinners. We read in Scripture about reaching out to sinners, don't we? For example, in the book of Mark, chapter 16, at verse 15, probably everyone who's here this morning... If you've been at church very long at all, you can probably quote Mark 16, verse 15. He said to them, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Those are sinful folks when we reach out to them. But we read this morning, or Dwayne read for us this morning, what is found in the book of Luke, chapter number 4. And I want us to go back there for just a second this morning. I want us to think about that passage again. Because it's there we have Jesus reading from the Old Testament book of Isaiah in his hometown of Nazareth. And as he does that, he's going to draw that passage to a conclusion by saying that, that this is what's happening today. He says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. But what is it that he's talking about? Well, let's notice that he talks about, he reads about one who was to come and to do something. He was the one who was to come and to preach the gospel to the poor. Is he talking about just the poor of, of our land, just the ones who don't have a lot of money? Yes, they need it. But the poor are those who have not had the gospel. He came to heal the brokenhearted. Is it just the broken-hearted Christians who maybe have said goodbye to a loved one or had something happen in their life? No. The broken-hearted includes all the broken-hearted of the world. To the captives, not just those who, are, who, who have been perhaps arrested or in some way imprisoned or made a slave, but we're all slaves. Every single person who has reached the age of accountability had the opportunity and the ability to know the difference between right and wrong, has been taken captive by Satan, according to the book of Romans, chapter number 6. Uh, to the blind, those who haven't had the beautiful light of the gospel uh, uh, revealed to them, to the oppressed, these are all different categories of reaching out to the world. And there are other passages that we could look at, that we could talk about, that teaches us about reaching out to sinners. But Jesus said in that passage, this is being fulfilled this day. He's talking about Himself and how He came to reach out to those who were sinners. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning, and I want you to think really carefully about what I'm about to say. If you were having a party, who would you invite. If you were having a party, who would you invite to your party? Now, in the past few days, I've had a couple of invitations to parties. Uh, I, I've had some invitations where you can go and you watch a ball game, and, or, or you could go and you could eat bear meat, uh, barbecued bear meat. 
And I didn't get to go to either one of those. But if you were having a party, who would you invite? Would you invite the person down the street who is of a different race than you? If you're a white person, would you invite a black family to come and be a part of your party? If you were a black family, would you invite a white person or white family to come and be a part of your party? Would you invite the Mexican family just down the street to be a part of your party? What about the Chinese family that lives close to you? Or what about the Iraqi family who perhaps lives near you? Would you invite them to be a part of your party? Would they be invited to come to your house? Would you invite the homeless family that perhaps is living on a street? Would you invite them to be a part of your party? Or or let's turn that around. Perhaps you would identify more with them. Would you invite the rich family who lives down the street to be a part of your party? Would you invite them? Not only that, but would you invite the known homosexual couple who lives down the street? Would you invite them? Or would you invite the unmarried couple in the neighborhood who's just living together? Would you invite them to your party? Or would you invite this couple who have each left their spouse so that they can be together and to live together? Would you invite them to your party? Would you? I'm not talking about coming to my party. I'm asking you, would you invite them? If you're throwing a party, don't say to me, Preacher, I don't throw parties. I'm saying you're throwing a party. If you were throwing that party, would you invite these people to be a part of your party? Would you invite the drunkard down the street to be a part of your party? Would you invite the drug addict to be one of your guests at your party? Would you invite the hardened criminal to be one of your guests? Would you invite the sex offender? Just this past week we had uh, trick-or-treating and I saw one sheriff had gone to people's homes and posted signs where known sex offenders were warning people not to go. Would you invite those who are known sex offenders to be a part of your party? Would you invite the zealous abortionist to be a part of your party? Would you invite the reckless teen? You know, the one who's always getting into trouble. Would you invite him or her to be one of your guests? Would you invite the guy who cusses like a sailor to come to your party? Would you? Would you invite all of those folks, any of those folks, to come to your party? Well, you know what? It's your party. And you can invite anybody that you want to, to your party. I said, I'm not throwing the party. I said, you're throwing the party. And you, you can invite anybody that you want to, or, or not invite anybody that you want to, to your party. And that's okay. It's your party. But you know what? You must understand that heaven is not your party. Heaven is not your party. It's not. You can't claim it. You can't make it your party because heaven is not your party. Heaven is God's party. And I don't mean that to be flippant or disrespectful in any way. 
Heaven is the place that God has prepared. And you know what? God wants everyone, everybody invited. You see, as I think about that, out of everybody in the world, there is not anybody that God cannot save. Those are the everybody's and the anybody's that are out there. In the book of Romans, chapter 10, verses 12 through 14, Paul writes and says, For there is no distinction. And he's going to talk about the Jew and the Gentile. And we all remember how there was a wall of separation between those two, the Jews and the Gentiles, and they didn't like each other very much. But God said there's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? No distinction, Paul writes by inspiration. No distinction. Everyone... Whoever, English Standard Translation of it, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now Paul did not say that just because we said, Lord, Lord, save me, that we would be saved. Because I read in the book of Matthew, chapter 7 at verse 21, that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall be saved. And so as we look at it, there must be something about that calling upon the name of the Lord We know in the book of Acts chapter 22 at verse 16, Paul himself, known as Saul at that time, was told by a man by the name of Ananias to call upon the name of the Lord. Ananias said to him, Arise and be baptized and call upon the name of the Lord. Baptism again was associated with the calling upon the name of the Lord. The obedience of God is associated with calling on the name of the Lord. If you go back to the book of Matthew chapter 7, we understand that it's those who do the will of the Father. Those are the ones who are calling upon the name of the Lord. It's interesting in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 that Paul talks about those who call upon the Lord. He talks about the Corinthians calling upon the Lord. And as he writes that, he's writing to a group of people who are Christians, been baptized into Christ, and yet they needed some instruction and correction about some things that they were doing. But he called those people, those Christians, those who who had become members and were seeking to be obedient to God. He called them the ones who were calling on the name of the Lord. But Paul said, whoever calls on the name. You know what? God wants every white family saved. God wants every black family saved. God wants every Mexican family saved. God wants every Chinese family saved. God wants every Iraqi family family saved. He wants every one of them. And you keep on going and you name every nation on the face of the earth. And God wants every person in every nation to be saved. God wants every homeless person 
every middle class person, every rich person. He wants to save every one of them. God wants to save every homosexual. God wants to save every fornicator. God wants to save every drunkard and every drug addict and every criminal and every sex offender and every abortionist and the person who's had the abortion. God wants to save everyone. He wants to save every teenager, whether they're reckless or polite. He wants to save every one of them. He wants to save every person who speaks any kind of word, and not just those who cuss like a sailor. God wants to save every single one. You see, He wants every one of them to receive His invitation to heaven. He wants them to know what it takes for them to have the opportunity to have eternal life in that place with Him. Who do we think we are trying to get decide who gets to come to God's party and who doesn't? Who do we think we are? We talk first about your party. You can invite whoever you want to to your party, but we're talking now about God's party. And God has given us the, 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 the responsibility of bringing people, all people, no matter what they look like, no matter how they currently act. God gives us the responsibility of reaching out to them, to taking His message to them. You don't get to decide who gets to come to God's party and who doesn't. Let me just stop off right here, take a little sidetrack, and I want you to think about something with me. It may be that there's someone here this morning who's struggling with the question, can God save a sinner like me? I don't know what you've done. I don't know what it is that you're asking that about. I, I, I don't know. But I don't want to seem disrespectful to you either, but may I ask you, very kindly and with my heart. Who gave you the right to say whether God could save you or not? If we're struggling with, with something that we've done, we don't get to decide if God can save us or if He will save us. God has promised that He will save us if we let Him. That's what He promised. And so I don't have to struggle with that. I know He had made a promise. He said, whoever. And, and, and that's equal to the anybody, no matter how bad we may think we have been. God can save me. God can save you. God can save anybody. And so it's not just about others that we might be tending to ask the question or decide for God who He will or can save. Sometimes that reflects upon our, our own life and on ourselves. And we don't get the right, no matter if it's us or if, some, or if it's someone else, we don't get the right. God said, I want everyone invited. I want everyone to have the opportunity because I can save anyone, anybody. You know, there are some things that we should expect when we're ministering to those who are the everybody's and the anybody's in our world. 
Let me quickly run through about four or five things here that you have on your sheet this morning. Some of the things that we can expect, one of them is that we can expect to get more just like them. What do you mean by that? Well, suppose you convert someone who is a drunkard. Or suppose you convert someone to Christ who who has committed some grave sin. Well, you know, he may or she may have been running in a crowd of those folks. And when they see what this person has, they may want that too. And so we can expect to get others. Sometimes it may be that we as God's people need to repent. Because we think about reaching out to the poor, and the poor need help, and sometimes even the poor take advantage. I understand that. But if we're failing to reach out to them because we think, well, we may have to help them, shame on us. We are deciding who can come to God's party, and we can't do that. And so this morning as we think about it, we need to understand that we might get more just like them. You know what, number two, we expect to get out of your comfort zone. If folks don't look like us and don't act like us, then sometimes that really makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? But if we're reaching out and we're serving people, we're serving sinners as God wants us to, then we may have to get out or we will have to get out of our comfort zone. Number three, expect to expend much time and effort. You know, those who have never heard the gospel, it's going to take more time to teach them, to help them understand what they need to do in order to be a Christian and to live as a Christian. And so we have to expend that much time and much effort. So we have to be patient, don't we? Patient with them. Not only that, but we need to expect some disappointments and discouragement when it comes to reaching out to the antibodies and the everybodies. You know, some, when the seed is planted, it'll grow and it'll produce. But some, when the seed is planted, Satan will come and take that seed away. And they'll fall away. That's the parable of the sower. We can expect some of that to happen. We get discouraged when we can't keep everybody. And we're disappointed when folks begin to to live the Christian life, but they turn away from it. But we can expect that. We can overcome that when we're doing our job. Next, we can expect to be rewarded by seeing real change in people's lives. Sometimes I wonder if we have forgotten about the rewards that we receive. There's nothing greater than to see a person come to Christ. We become accustomed to seeing our own children, those that we've raised in our own home. We become accustomed to seeing those who are at church become Christians. And that's good. That's wonderful. We want them to. But there are people out in our world who are living like the news. They're living like the world shows on Hollywood. And their life is so messed up that we sometimes can't even begin to imagine it. And you know the only thing that can change them is the only thing that has the power to change them? The Word of God. 
How wonderful it is to see someone who is a blasphemer or, or someone who has proclaimed there is no God confess his faith in Jesus Christ to see real change. We can expect to be rewarded by seeing that in people's lives. You know, when we're ministering to everybody's and the antibodies, there are some things that we need to remember. We need to remember how the Bible says we're to treat people. We have to remember that. In the book of Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, Paul wrote and says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Who is Paul talking about here? He says that we're to walk in wisdom toward the outsiders. Who are the outsiders? Well, we could show this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and other passages that the outsiders that Paul is writing about are those who are outside the church, those who are outside the body of Christ, those everybody's and anybody's who are out there. And Paul says that we're to walk in with... We can't just talk anyway to them. We have to speak with grace. Let our speech be grace, always gracious, seasoned with salt. Those who are still in their sins sometimes don't understand what we're saying to them. And surely if we're making fun, if we're ridiculing to the point that we drive them away... We have done wrong, as Paul has instructed us there. We need to remember how to treat people. We also need to remember what Jesus did himself. We need to remember that. What did Jesus do? Well, according to the book of Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says that, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus associated with them. When they made that statement, Jesus told them these parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost sons. And he explained to them, and through those parables, that they needed to be found. In the book of Mark chapter 9, when that accusation was made, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus told them why. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then he says in verse 13, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You want to know why? You want to know why I'm around sinful people? Because they need a doctor. They need salvation. We need to learn, remember what Jesus did. We can't be so afraid to be around those who are in the world. We can't become of the world. But we can't become so afraid to be around those who are in the world that we fail to reach them that we forget about the everybody and the anybody. We need to remember what Jesus did, but we also need to learn how to pray. What do you mean by that? Sometimes we pray against sin, don't we? We pray against it, and we should. 
But we can't just pray against sin. We have to pray for sinners. You know, Satan's taking them as prey. The Bible talks about that. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 8. Your adversary, the devil, he's walking about as a lion, seeking whom he may eat up, whom he may devour. They've been taken captive. In the book of Jude, verses 22 and 23, only one chapter there, the Bible says, And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by sin. We need to remember that when we reach out, we are to reach out to the sinner in spite of the sin. We have to do that. If any of us are professing ourselves to be Christians and you don't feel an intense hatred and disgust for sin, then you need to get your life right with God. It's just wrong not to have a right attitude about sin. Likewise, if we don't feel God's unconditional love toward people, all people, no matter how wicked they may be, we need to get our life right with God. You see, we need to be a friend to the sinners. That doesn't mean being like them. That doesn't mean doing what they do. It doesn't mean talking like they talk. But it means showing them the sun. Not the outside sunshine, but the sun. And helping them hear heaven's invitation. And again, I don't mean this to be flippant or disrespectful, but to give them the invitation to God's party. Every single one of us must remember, it's not ours. When we're reaching out, it's not just to the people we would invite to our party. It's to everyone, everybody, and anybody. We need to remember that every day. One of my assigned topics, and this is a part of what I'll have to say, one of my assigned topics in Virginia is I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that God wants everybody and can save anybody, no matter what? And are we willing to put ourselves on the line? Are we willing to be a friend to sinners so that they can have heaven's invitation? It may be this morning that you need to respond to heaven's invitation to put your Lord on in baptism. Or perhaps you want to know more about what we need to do in order to become a Christian and to be a recipient of the invitation that God has so graciously extended to us. We'd love for you to come down to the front. We would be glad to assist you today. It may be that you need to come back to the Lord having become a Christian at some time in the past, but your life is one that... Is not been, has not been lived in accordance with the will of God and you need His forgiveness. If that's the case, why don't you respond right now as we stand and